especially when a team is bad. It's, it's like, yeah, we're not really going to like approve increased salary. <laughs> You ask yourself, what horrible fate has befallen all of the other people who might be standing there? And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode 108 where there's more trade talk than a baseball card convention. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, didn't even get a guffaw on you with my opening one-liner. Maybe I should have workshopped that longer. <laughs> I was just trying to be professional for the first time in the history of this podcast and let you actually speak without interrupting you during the intro. <laughs> uh, we got a few things to talk about. Uh, you know, the team was, I believe, three and three, if I'm not mistaken, over the course of the week. But that's not the important part anymore because uh, we had a trade. Steve Pierce said farewell and joined his final ALEs team. Uh, Marco Estrada, bless his heart, got hurt. Um, we need to talk about that because that affects potential trades up in the future. Jose Bautista, the man, the myth, the legend. He strolled back in in the wrong color uniform. Uh, and there was lots of tears shed. We're going to talk about our thoughts on that. Roberto Osuna is apparently coming back to be a member of the Blue Jays as the closer. And uh, there's obviously lots to talk about there. Ryan Barucki was good. Stroman was not. Uh, Kevin Pilar still has his moments in the outfield. And Kendrick Morales, who says he doesn't have a natural position. We also have your questions and a do-over, which it's probably the strangest do-over I think we've ever had. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna hand it out anyway. Stay tuned. Hmm. All right, Steve Pierce. Uh, I can't make jokes anymore. That I know you're disappointed uh, trying oh, to get things lined with his name, but. I, I'm going to miss Steve Pierce, but I totally understand why he got traded. I, I assume you are of a similar mind. Yeah, I think we even mentioned it on the previous podcast or the one before that when Nick was on. We were talking about someone's got to go, right? There were just too many guys for too few spots with everyone healthy and playing decently. You know, early in the season when Grichuk was terrible and then Hurd or Mraz was terrible and Hurd, it didn't really, you know, they could get Pierce in. But then, you know, he had to go, which is why he went as early as he did. Yeah, and Steve Pierce does the things that a, you know, a hitter, hitting specialist does. He's he's very effective from his side of the plate. Um, he, he's, except for like one month, he's been quite consistent uh, throughout his whole career. And he also gets hurt a lot, so he probably isn't someone you're going to try and play every day anyway. So, seems like, despite being in the division, uh, the Red Sox, he, he checked a bunch of boxes for them. Well, and especially once they got rid of Hanley Ramirez earlier in the year, which they claimed was for performance reasons, but it was very likely driven by a vesting option for $20 million. But uh, they needed a right-handed caddy for Mitch Moreland. And especially in the American League East, you know, the the Yankee, the Red Sox really struggle against left-handed pitching. So getting a guy like Pierce made a lot of sense. And now they have him. And he endeared himself right away at a couple hits in his first game. And, you know, he's a perfect fit, and he's finally playing first base again, which is where he should have been playing the entire time. <laughs> uh, someone somewhere described him as trade for utility man Steve Pierce, and I thought, you have a warped sense of the word utility. 
<laughs> He's the opposite of the super utility Russell Martin. Russell Martin was the guy who can play everywhere and can't hit. And yeah. Pierce is the guy who can hit but can't play anywhere. So we called this a trade, and we've only mentioned Steve Pierce. So who did we? Uh, who did the Blue Jays receive in return for Steve Pierce? Yes, they received a minor league infielder by the name of Santiago Espinal. He's a, a little old for someone in high A. He's twenty three, but you know he's doing quite. He's not like really old. He's just older than normal. But he's doing really well this year down there, and and his, he certainly like you know Pierce did well for his new team in his first game and Espinal's first game with the Blue Jays in Dunedin. He went two for four with a triple and three runs scored. And he's got a few more hits since he seems like he could be a decent guy. I mean, I, the reason I think that and I'm not, I admittedly, I don't know a lot about him, but because the Jays ate some money in the deal and still got and, and ended up with him, it makes it seem like he's the guy they ate the money for. Well, yeah, absolutely. Is, is uh, Steve Pierce alone is is an asset with limited value i mean we're joking about his defensive liability but that's part of his limited value and then the other part is the short contract so um and the fact that he's a platoon partner this is not a you know you didn't trade an everyday guy you're not going to get a top five prospect from anybody no so yeah you you, uh you sweeten the pot a bit and you get somebody back who obviously they i'm organizations right look for guys that uh, are outside of their org that they see something in. And then they try and get a deal on them sometimes. Right. And now here's the thing about Espinal as well, too. Steve Sanders, not the 90210 guy, the Blue Jays scouting director. I'm dating myself again. I, I got to say, doing I think that you, that's some hardcore dating yourself. Didn't they reboot 90210 already? <laughs> yeah, actually, they did. Reboot it and already finished his run. But um, <clears throat> anyway, he was in Boston when Espinal was drafted a couple of years ago. So he's a guy who have a really good knowledge of who he is. So the fact that they got him might mean something a little extra in that sense, like someone who they think could be more than the outside perception, shall I say. Now, of course, you also have the problem of the rose-colored glasses of someone who maybe was involved in talking to a kid or drafting a kid and fell in love with. Sure. Yeah. So we're not saying this is a genius move necessarily, but it does make sense. It is what it is. Uh, I did look it up. He is six months older than the average person in high A. There you go. So he's, it's not like he's three years older. No, <laughs> but just, you know, in terms of top prospects, usually they're younger than the right. average, right? Yeah, and both both Bo and Vlad Jr. are more than one year younger than the average. Age. Well, Bo is... Vlad Jr. is younger than the youngest guy by a year, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's top prospect, and then there's super special, amazing, crazy prospect, and that's that's Vlad Jr. But exactly. back to the, the this deal. Another thing that we talked, you know, you mentioned the money and the $1.5 million. That's what they're saving in this deal. And, you know, they sent $1.6 million, $1.66 million to the Red Sox in the trade, but they save 1.5 million and why that could be valuable to, to see that you sort of have to go back to last year's trade deadline when they traded for Teoscar Hernandez, when they made the deal, they not only did they send Liriano's, eat all of the Liriano's money, but they also took back Aoki's money. And so what they've done here, they've saved $1.5 million to do another deal like that, where they can take on someone else's money without going over their season budget. Which they apparently, you know, we don't know what it is, but they do always seem to kind of bump up against some invisible line the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's not really a huge shock, especially when your team is bad. It's like, yeah, we're not really going to like approve increased salary. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, all right. So if we're talking about all these other trades, we have to talk about Marco Estrada, who was really building some trade value, then then went and hurt his glute, is what I've heard. That, that kind of yeah. crashes that back of the rotation help thing until he can prove that he can get back on the mound again, right? Yeah, this was a massive blow. The Jays just keep getting hit with this. To, you know, Donaldson out from until a trade deadline. Well, there goes his value if he can't come back. Tapera, he's out for who knows how long. We, there's actually been no diagnosis yet. Well, that's a strain, but we don't know how long. And then Estrada, which again, we don't know. And these, these situations where you don't know are actually worse. Because if there's a definitive timetable, the trading team can make at least some sort of assessment as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't put Estrada on the DL yet. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, at least, at least in the the quick analysis makes it seem like they don't necessarily think it's going to be a big one, but they don't know yet. No, and uh, the the Jays can ill afford all of their <laughs> decent trade targets to be injured, which is what you just described, with the exception of Jay Happ, which. I found funny because you, was it not the day before Estrada got hurt that you basically said, don't let Jay Happ get back on the mound again? No, I was at the game. It was as soon as Estrada started walking off the mound, I tweeted it out. It's like, don't let him take the mound again. Trade him now. I mean, we've heard this right at the deadline where uh, starters have been held back from their final start, um, A, because of injury fears, and then B, because of the concern that it will cost that the receiving team a start, which at that point is a fairly valuable thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, every start adds value, but in this case, it's just <laughs> I don't want him to get hurt. Um. Well, other than Jay, it is which we've what again and again on the podcast here we've acknowledged he is the top trade target for just about everybody. Is there anyone else? Like, is Curtis Granderson now the Jays' second best trade target? I think it's him or one of the relievers. Um, Granderson, I guess, is a guy that could provide value to more teams because he could be a bench platoon option and you know he can handle that role because that's what he's been all year for the Blue Jays. And then everyone needs just, you know, bullpen depth help. But I think in terms of guys that might get more of a return, it's, oh, because he has control or Granderson, yeah. And we sit and we wait again. Yeah. Well, last week we recorded, we said that, you know, one of these guys has to go and then Pierce was traded literally the next day. Well, that's just a tradition to keep our podcast seeming stale all of the time. <laughs> well, yeah, we, I think we had a stretch where something happened four four times in a row right after we recorded, which was pretty impressive. Uh, so, Jose Bautista, the return. Uh, they really pumped this up on Sportsnet and on the radio, and I'm I'm sort of surprised at that. And then I'm sort of not because people did not push back against that at all about, um, you know, Bautista in that strange orange and blue uniform uh, still being a Blue Jay at heart. And the team leaned right into it, too. They played his walk up music when he came to the plate the first at bat. Yeah. I mean, is, is there any more respect you can get in a visiting park at, park from stadium ops? No, definitely not. And. 
That's correct, right? I mean, there's no argument against doing it because this is this is one of the greatest franchise icons in the history of the team. Exactly, and Jose didn't leave saying I won't play here anymore, or uh, you know, there there was none of this. There, there was not animosity when he left. It was simply, and he acknowledged this when they asked him the question, which I I have a lot of respect for. They said, "Are you mad?" You know, or upset that they didn't bring you back and he essentially said my last season's numbers spoke for themselves i i wasn't going you know the option on his contract was clearly not what he was worth last year which is is fair yeah you know especially since you know the uh not willing to negotiate comments sort of blew up in his face a bit he's gotten a lot more honest about these situations with the media and i think it's same kind of thing here where he just realized, look, like this was not, there was no personal thing here. It was just the baseball side of it didn't make sense for either, either side. And that happens. And like you said, that's a big part of why they can do this. There's, you know, all this pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And he's actually, he's been really good for the Mets, which is the other very strange thing. He was not good in Atlanta. Uh, he was still getting his feet back under him, but, uh, you know, he's got an on-base percentage well north of 350. Uh, he's hit a few bombs. Um, you know, it's the things he wasn't able to do. Like, I mean, the strikeouts are still up from what his career norm was, but it's the things he wasn't able to do last year as a Blue Jay is he's finally settled in with the Mets and he's able to do them. He also plays the same touch-and-go defense that he's been playing <laughs> for the past three or four years. Yeah, we got to see the the full Jose Bautista display. Well, we didn't see the throw, but he made a really nice sliding catch on Russell Martin in the first inning. And then later in the game, he tried to, you know, get a ball to throw Randall Grichik out at first base. It bounced over his head for a triple. Yeah, and there was another one. Uh, didn't he, he try and play one off the wall or at the wall? And he, he missed uh, the wall, played him a little bit. Yep. Um, yeah, so <laughs> there was uh, everything going on. So, I mean, he, I, I guess in some ways the nostalgia of Jose Bautista being a little bit unpredictable as well as uh, having a flair for the dramatic, is it, it all came to town. Yeah, it really did. And you know what? Good on everybody, though, I think. It just needs to be said for being happy he was there. And, you know, there was a standing ovation. There was no booing, which, you know, Bautista was a little more polarizing than a lot of people are willing to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Even in this city, there were a lot of people who didn't like Bautista. But even if you were one of those strange people, you can't ignore what he meant to this team and meant to getting back to the postseason for the first time. Yeah. I I mean, we are looking, and you'll you'll probably allude to that later. I'm guessing it's going to be your final thought. But we're looking at a, a Toronto sports atmosphere that really only rewards winning. Uh, and we are back to a team that is clearly not winning, and yeah, the the people don't care nearly so much. Um, so for him to bring winning back to the city and 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 be you know dragged the, the team kicking and screaming in that direction, it can't really be understated in that era of Blue Jays baseball. Yeah, I agree completely. And just before we move off this topic, though, one tiny bone to pick with the people who did his you know throwback video uh-huh. his highlight package not one clip of him hosing somebody <laughs> no no arm 
no arm show off, just bats and uh and like good catches. Like, come on, if you're thinking of Bautista the outfielder, you're not thinking of him making sliding and jumping catches. You're thinking of him hosing people at the plate. Yeah. Yeah. The the one the once upon a time it was a cannon. All right. right. Well, that's the happy returns. Uh, we we will switch over to the unhappy returns. So Roberto Osuna is scheduled to come back on August 4th. And when quizzed about that, it was Ross Atkins who was quizzed, yes? Yep. Uh, his answer was essentially, um, Osuna is our closer, and I plan on getting him back and using him as a closer come August 4th because he's a member of our team. Um. He went on maybe a little bit more and he did some of what I think is a mistake for people to do, which is to talk about hardship in terms of Roberto Osuna. And it's not really hardship if you bring it on yourself, yeah. is my take. So, yes, it's a difficult situation. I, I, I get that, but it's nobody's fault but Roberto's. So, too bad. Um, there is a victim here. Again, we don't know all of the facts, but I would say that the victim's hardship trumps by like a million anything that Roberto has caused himself to go through. So, too bad, so sad. However, uh, there are people who never want to see him throw another pitch for this organization again. Uh, I don't think that's realistic. And I also... My thought about this was, was kind of a, here's a hypothetical. Person you work with, Josh, gets a DUI. Should they be fired? No, I mean, it's not a perfect comp, but... No, no, just hypothetically. No. Person gets a DUI and gets charged with manslaughter because they killed a person in the opposite car, but they're found, let's say, hypothetically not guilty. The person did <laughs> die. Do you fire them? Can you just say you're fired? Probably not. No. Now, I have a job, as it so happens, where you need your driver's license to have the job. And so if you get a DOI, actually, you can get fired because you can't perform the job anymore. Despite that, a couple of people who have a DUI have gone to great lengths in order to keep their driver's license or to keep their, that status with paying insurance, with built-in breathalyzer interlocks, all kinds of things in, in, on different occasions to keep their livelihood. Because as it turns out, um, the thing you do that's not necessarily part of your job is not it doesn't necessarily disqualify you even though it was wrong and it may even be criminal and i think that's the gray area that the blue jays might be stuck in with roberto osuna yeah and you know, this is going back to atkins comments too where he said he said quote roberto is our closer running a baseball team and our goal is to win championships roberto could potentially be very much a part of that and this is sort of what you're talking about and why the idea, like it, and it was never likely that they were just going to cut him, which a lot of people wanted. But it was handled still poorly by, ne it, you know, not like you mentioned before, you know, the hardship comments about Osuna and, and not really talking about, you know, the, the challenges in the decision that they were making. It made, it made it sound like it was an easy decision when really it 
And whether it was or it wasn't, they probably should have at least suggested that it should have been. Mm -hmm. That there was a there, there should have been an internal debate about under what circumstances he comes back or what restrictions he comes back. But I think it's easier for the team to just simply say uh, the league discipline and the legal discipline are the discipline that we're going to go by and we're not going to further that you know because he doesn't quote unquote deserve that i think that's sort of their position mm -hmm. i don't think it's a it pretty is. one but no, it's definitely not um it's walking on that line where you know they're, they're fulfilling the legal requirement or the how should i put the administrative requirement of what they have to do in order to say that the punishment fits um whatever transgression there was which it still yeah. remains to be seen. I mean, if, if there's a legal proceeding and Osuna's found guilty, guess what? He's not the closer anymore. No, he's in jail. Yeah. And not allowed to travel to the United States probably too, which will be interesting. But then that is also, to, so once he comes back, it'll be very interesting to see how people react to him. Mm -hmm. You know, before when we've talked about this, we've just talked about the general, we don't know what they're going to do. Well, now we know. And on October 5th, the, or probably whether the Jays have a lead or not, Roberto Osuna is going to be on the map. You mean August 5th? What did I say? October. I'm dreaming. I'm wishing they were playing the postseason. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm guessing that he will have to deal with some booze for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be, at, the, at best, it's going to be quiet in the dome um, when he takes the mound on you know when he's back to take it on a regular basis i'm sure he's going to get booed by people who anticipate his return and are going to want to make that clear and i get that i get that you're yeah, unhappy of course. you know I, and and i i get that uh it doesn't seem like justice is, is being served 100 percent here but as we discussed i think the first time it came up th th these are the rules we don't get to just add and subtract penalties because it's close to home no, but I could see a situation where that kind of fan reaction, if it lasts through the season, which not unrealistic, could lead to him being moved in the offseason. I believe that 100% as well. But yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. All right. Shall we go back to happier news? Sure. Ryan Barucki knows how to pitch. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> You never know, right? When a guy comes up from AAA, it doesn't matter what they've said about someone. I've seen so many guys come up, oh, we like this kid, he's got this, he's got that, and then he just gets shelled by some major league team. Ryan Barucki, not <laughs> so much. No. And, you know, his first start we talked about was against Houston. No, not yeah. exactly an easy test. And his next one's going to be against the Yankees. Also not an easy test. But in this one, he pitched against the Tigers, and it was a very, very good outing. And... He he uh nine ground ball outs and zero fly ball outs, eight strikeouts in seven innings. That's two runs allowed. That's as good as it gets. Yeah. Well, as good. Well, okay, because those theoretically could be better, but you can't ask for more than that, really. No, no, you 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 certainly are completely satisfied with that as an outing from your rookie call up. <laughs> yeah. Any day of the month, like yeah, go out there and do that again. We'll figure out a way to win the games eventually. Right. Exactly. And. You know, I, I wrote about this in a combined piece with Brendan Panikar on the site. He's got, uh, and I've talked about this before, this outlier fastball movement, more so than most of the Blue Jays pitchers. There's, you know, uh, some of them it's just close to outlier. He's right there. The only pitcher in all of baseball, starting pitcher, that has more horizontal movement on their fastball is Chris Sale. 
wild. And Chris Sale throws from about a foot lower than Brocky. There's no, <laughs> there's no that pitcher who throws like he does. What? I said that makes a difference. The starting point for movement, right? Yeah. Well, that's why like the, the only pitcher who's relief pitcher who's up there is Aaron Loop, and he also throws from you know completely sidearm. Brocky doesn't. He throws three quarters, so his movement profile actually doesn't exist outside of him. Which hopefully is uh, confusing as all heck to everybody who faces him for all time. <laughs> that would be really nice. Um, so yeah, that was wonderful. Marcus Stroman had a couple of decent starts and then was not wonderful in his one against the Mets yesterday. Uh, it was going okay, I guess, until well, the 5th or the 4th? 5th inning. The 5th. And, and then... Not so much. Yeah, and this is something that, you know, I've talked about this before with Marcus Stroman. He has this habit of falling in love with a pitch or two. And when he does that, he gets somewhat predictable. And then this happened to him in in this third. You know, so the game against the, uh, who was it against the winning pitch? Well, the Tigers, right? He was sinkers and sliders or sneakers and curveballs. I don't know whatever they're calling it. And he got away with it. But then he did the exact same thing the next time out, and he got hit. So when he gets predictable, people make more contact. And when they make more contact, it's, you know, he, he has situations where the ball just finds holes because that's the nature of contact. And he does seem to be a victim of that third time through the order penalty. And it follows along with that predictability, right? Yep. If, you're, if you're not mixing it up the third time through, if you're not showing a wrinkle, they're just going to pick one of those two pitches until they get it. Right, exactly. And then you know, if you know what's coming, no matter how much it's moving, you can hit it. And I, I go back to, like, you, Darvish, yes, is a, is a great pitcher. I'm, I'm not saying that Marcus Stroman should be you, Darvish. But you, Darvish, has six pitches, and you literally have no clue what he's going to throw next. And that's... I mean, it's a great model to follow if you're a guy who has five or six pitches that you're confident in coming out of your hand. So I don't know what Strowman's deal is. Yeah, he's never really done it. The only time I can think of where he actually legitimately started mixing it up was towards the end of the season in 2016 when he started off so poorly and then he changed his repertoire a bit. And it worked. <laughs> he was pitching really well. So I don't know why he went away from it. Maybe because last year was a success, throwing almost entirely sinkers. But whatever it is, I think he needs to start varying things up a bit more. And he's got the stuff to do it. That's the weird part. It really is. Is is Yeah. It's like, how can they be hitting him when it's all wobbly? <laughs> now they know what kind of wobbly it is, I guess. is is the, Like you said, the reality. doesn't matter what it's doing, if it's doing the same thing, you're good. Or bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that about sums up the week, I think. We do have a couple of weird and wonderfuls, because baseball is a really long season. You get the weird and wonderful thrown in every so often. Kevin Pillar, we've been ragging on his declining defense, so he decided to say that every once in a while... He can still do Kevin Pillar things. Now, why he did it in a 9-1 game and risked himself that way, I'm, I'm not sure, but it was certainly a lot of fun that he went up and literally brought back a home run over the center field wall. 
Oh, oh, definitely. I, mean, I was at this game, and this it was this inning started seven to one, and Gilmet gave a home run, and then it hit, and it looked like he was giving up another home run. And you know, at that point, it's like, why are we even staying here? And it's like, oh, that's why. <laughs> we saw one of the greatest catches you're going to see at the dome. Yeah, uh, every other catch that's been up and over the wall, the the one from Pilar and the one from Mr. Um, Rajay. Rajay Davis. And then there was also one, I believe, up the bullpen by someone from the Oakland A's in the right field corner. Everything's been in the corner fields because I assume, you, you know, you're a little closer to the fence. You got a little less space to run. This was basically dead center. Yeah. And, you know, there was no, like we, I talked about this with the Gritchuk one, there's no stopping, timing, and jumping. It was a full-on run, plant off the wall, go up, and catch it. Yeah. Big ups. So credit to Kevin Pillar. Yeah, even his league mates, so to speak, were impressed with Kevin Pillar. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, who I think we like Andrew McCutcheon, just generally. He's a fun player. Um, his, his response tweet, he posted the highlight, and he comment tweeted just one word. Dang. <laughs> yep. It's like, yeah, that's you how I feel. You've done too. something good when people do that. Oh. Yeah. I, not, not even a full sentence. Don't need one. <laughs> and and Kutch has some dang. good catches under his belt, for sure. And then uh, Pilar responded, you know, the prayer emoji respect means a lot from coming from one of the best. And, you know, I bet that's not just saying that for the sake of saying, I bet that actually did mean a lot to Pilar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's genuine, 100%. Because, I mean, they, they work hard on being in the right place and, and at the right time and doing crazy stuff. Um, one center fielder to another, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that that was wonderful. Can we go to weird now? One second. Just before we get off it, go back and watch the highlight. Look at Gilmet. He's like, ah, oh, crap, I just gave up another bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Great pitcher gift on and out. Indeed. Um, so now we can go to the to the weird. Kendris Morales, I, John Gibbons, he really thinks in late games that nothing bad can happen if you put yourself in a position offensively to win in one inning for whatever comes up the next inning. Because we ended up with Kendris Morales at third base. <laughs> it's amazing. And then absolutely amazing. Yeah. So who did he did he pinch hit for Solarte? No, he didn't pinch it for Solarte. Uh, I can't even remember what the circumstances were. That's bad. But yes, somehow when you when you end up with Kendrick Morales on third, you ask yourself what horrible fate has befallen all of the other people who might be standing there. You know, what's funny. The Blue Jays practiced for this back at the beginning of April when they were trying to figure out ways to get him at bats. They had him taking grounders at third. <laughs> so the very first grounder that's hit is hit towards him in the <laughs> hole. At which point, I believe um, Atletimus Diaz was playing short. Calls him off <laughs> like, dude, don't. <laughs> Just I got leave this for me. Yeah. yeah. It's it's 15 extra steps for me, but my momentum's going that way anyway, and I really don't want to see what happens when you try and scoop this ball. So you actually I've never seen a third baseman bail backwards. Normally normally the third baseman <laughs> just runs through the ball, right? He hops over it, but 
Uh, Kendris was like, no, okay, I'll peel right off and head out towards left field. <laughs> he did the the dodge that he does when someone in front of him grinds on double play because he's only halfway to the bag. Yeah, pretty much that on defense. Uh, nevertheless, play was made, not by Kendris. Uh, everybody's happy, I guess. I don't know. I think most people at that point would have been happy to see him actually try to field one. Well, yeah, you never know. You never know what could happen when it when he really takes the opportunity. Uh, so now he's he's as as I believe Jen from uh, Baseball Prospectus Toronto said, odd to see a reliever in at third base because <laughs> <laughs> he's done that, that too. Funny. Uh, alrighty, that uh, concludes our week in review, and we're going to go and uh, answer your questions about this past week and possibly into the future because you all assume we have a crystal ball uh, in a couple minutes. After editing out some horrible mistakes I've made, we're back! <laughs> Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I tell you, we have important questions this week. Uh, I think I'm going to start with the most important question. Get that one, you know, answered right off the top. Don't leave them waiting. Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt asks, but you read it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Matt Sweeby asks the, the all important, what's the biggest mammal you think you could beat in a fight? No weapons allowed. You're dressed in a t-shirt, jeans, and boots. I feel like I would probably want uh, a mammal that's more comfortable swimming. Um, so I'm thinking like a large beaver or maybe a sea lion. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I don't want anything that's really going to fight back. And when you get any bigger than that, I think you're in serious danger of that happening. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to go with sea, uh, the sea lion. Yeah. Yeah. I can go. I could, I could definitely be the beaver. So, um, I, yeah. Do, do you have I'm going to go with the blue whale. <laughs> How would you be? Because on land, it would have no <laughs> chance because it wouldn't be able to breathe. Yeah. As long as we can name the arena. <laughs> Well, the blue whale can breathe. It just can't go anywhere or do anything. True. Could, good point. It would, take it, would be, a, it would have a lot of trouble. Take a long time to win that fight, Josh. I got the endurance. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, there may be some baseball questions now. Josh Treats at Treatsy asks, what's the dream outcome to this season for you? As in, what players you want traded, what type of prospects you want back, how you want various storylines to conclude, etc.? I like that he has completely given up on the dream outcome of actually making the playoffs. <laughs> I think it's his dream, but based on some level of realism. Mm. So it's like a daydream more than in like a real dream. <laughs> no pipe dream. No, not yet. Not pipe dream. The Jays are not making the playoffs in his list. Okay. Uh, but to answer the question, ideally, I guess, you know, what, what I'd want to see happen is that Hap, Granderson, O, Estrada, Tamara, Axford, Donaldson all get dealt and they actually get to really load up in this farm system even with not just get as many useful guys as they can and for, and the ones like Hap and Donaldson actually get the key up the key players. I'd like to see them actually be able to trade all of them for useful returns because it means they're healthy enough to come back and show it. Um, I'm I'm along the same lines. I, I'm a little less, you know, my, my dream outcome is is basically getting 
one team's top three prospect and another real top 10 um, for some package of players and or taking money back on a player that has one or two years of control left that maybe fills a hole for you. Um, do I have any specifics? No, because there's 800 players in the major leagues. Yeah, you know, that's a good general idea. And as for storylines to conclude, Anthony Alford taking over the center field job. <laughs> that wouldn't be so bad. Uh, I would love to see, you know, if we're not going to see Josh Donaldson, I would love to see Jan Hervis Solarte uh, hit 35 bombs by the end of the year. Ooh, that's a good one. I like it. It'll be fun. And I'd like to see if Marcus Stroman can keep this pace and get to his second win by September. <laughs> I said no pipe dreams. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hit me with that. Uh, oh, I'll hit you with the next question because I believe you've researched this one uh, from Minor Leaguer at Minor underscore Leaguer. How many prospects do you think need to be protected this winter? Referring, of course, to uh, the 40-man roster uh, and the Rule 5 draft where you can only have 40 players that are protected from being snatched from your organization. Yes? Yes, that is it. This actually came from, I, I tweeted at him because they have a link up on their site, Bluebird Banter, which lists all the players that need to be protected. And I was curious in relation to, because the Yankees have this huge problem coming up and that could affect the return for J-Hap. In response to this question, though, I can really only see three guys that definitely need it. And that's Reed, Sean Reed Foley, John Harris, and I would say Yancy Diaz, who's pitching really well. Or at least he was when he was down in A-ball and, I, you know, his first start up didn't go as well but I, I think that those three guys would all get claimed without hesitation i think they're all guys the jays want to keep i uh, glad you did the research because you know me and minor league guys what do you got for me all right so the next question well let's go back to mr alex hume who likes this changing what pitchers roles are questions <laughs> Oh, Last like week, he asked about Aaron Sanchez. And this week, it's Roberto Osuna. Since the season is essentially lost and he's out until mid-August anyway, why not stretch out Osuna for 2019? He's never going to be a starter, sad face, but he could get up to two or three innings with some regularity. 100-inning pitch, super reliever, please. There's an old phrase, like a dog with a bone. And uh, Alex and the 100-inning super reliever. <laughs> Just You could not wrestle this idea away from Mr. Hume. Um, I think he's already had enough stress on his arm from everything we know. Um, I think that the Blue Jays are really not going to mess with a guy who probably is not going to be in a great headspace coming back. And, and again, I've, I've alluded to the fact that's not anybody's fault, but his, but I don't think changing his role at this point is going to make him any more effective. He's an extremely effective closer. And on top of that, he can be asked to do more than one inning in, you know, when it is necessary. I think that's all the Blue Jays are really going to target because that's the guy they want to trade if they're going to have to trade him. And that's the guy they want on their team if they want to keep him. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I think Alex's question is based is somewhat in the value of a hundred inning super reliever. Yeah. I mean, that's a useful guy to have like Josh Hader for the Brewers, but yeah, there is value to having a guy that just locks down the ninth inning so you can build your roles backwards from there, too. Yeah, and I think John Gibbons is much more comfortable with that role than he is with the others. And it, it does depend on what your manager's, you know, how your manager's going to tap guys, right? You can't tell him, put this guy in for two innings every 
every evening. That's, you know, he'll say the game did or didn't dictate that to a point. Yep. All right. Um, that takes us back to... Uh, heated End. Heated End, a new questioner, I believe. I don't think I've seen that Twitter handle nope. before. Um, so, welcome to the podcast. Uh, with all the injuries and ailments, who do you guys think is next to go on the DL? How long <laughs> will Jay Happ be on the DL? Man, I don't know that this... Read the hashtag. Uh, reverse jinx. <laughs> <laughs> I, like where, I like where your head's at, Heated End. <laughs> I like whatever we can do. Do we need to sacrifice a live chicken like Serrano or something like that to stop these crazy injuries? Uh, maybe. Uh, I'm not going to do it, but maybe somebody does. It's one of those, you know, if somebody Pete did is going to get angry at this yeah. podcast for that joke. Uh, it wasn't me. That's basically my, my contention here. Um, well, we know there's another DL stint somewhere. We do, don't we? It's got to be Martin, right? Well, that's pretty standard. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Um, oh, no, Estrada. He's not on the DL yet. <laughs> oh, Marco there you Estrada. go. Boom. Um, yeah, Estrada on the DL. How long will Jay Happ be on the DL? Well, after he joins uh, the Yankees, um, I anticipate a good six weeks on the DL. Perfect. Lastly but leastly, uh, Brian A at big underscore B underscore SR. Uh, will you cry when Jose Bautista gets traded to the Yankees or Red Sox to help their postseason push? It won't happen. This is the secondary best part of the Steve Pierce trade. They don't need the right-handed power bat anymore. The Red Sox, yes. And I'm assuming that the... Um, the Yankees have no need the, for it. The Yankees are flush with those kinds of guys. Yeah. All right. Solved. Um, I wouldn't cry anyway. I mean... Unfortunately, I, I like Jose Batista a lot. I, I, my heart does not weep when he arrives on the scene, I'm sorry to say. It's probably sacrilegious <laughs> to some people, but... By the way, just, you know, one of our patrons, Luke, you can't, you know, add split letters, responded to that for us. You shut your mouth! <laughs> Which is an alternative uh, way of thinking of things. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have... A do-over, and it, and it is the weird do-over. Oh my god, did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? We believe in second chances. Yes, and the second chance we are going to hand out tonight is to an unknown person um, with a tattoo. This person is, I can only assume, a deranged, slightly Rangers fan. Um, there was a screenshot from a television show, or not television show, a television airing of a broadcast where a man had rolled up his sleeve and revealed a full color tattoo on the inside of his arm of Rugnet Odor punching Jose Bautista in the face. I think it's the first time you ever said Rugnet Odor's right name right. <laughs> you almost said Roughnet again, but... Yeah, I mean, how sad does your life have to be to get that moment tattooed on your arm? So, uh, first of all, if you like, if you had to title that, the title would be uh, "The Beginning of a Suspension." That that's all that came out of that particular interaction. You you yeah, literally or, would like that immortalized. Yeah, and 
or maybe karma coming back to bite because he's <laughs> made the throwing error that cost him the playoff game. Yeah. Um, second of all, is that literally the greatest moment in Texas Rangers history that you can think of? The answer is uh, yes. It's either that or Nolan Ryan punching Robert Ventura. That's all they had to be proud of is guys punching other people. A team that made the World Series twice, but we will go with nobody talks about those times. Um, yeah, so I would take that if you are really going to immortalize something, I would think Nolan Ryan taking it to Robinson Ventura was at least at least Ventura charged them out. I like that Robinson version. Uh, Robinson yeah. Ventura? No, but, yeah, Brooks Ventura Robinson Ventura. His... He was a third baseman. <laughs> Uh, ah, true, true. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he charged against Nolan Ryan. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> this one was just Rugnador being a punk. He pulled the same thing in the minors too. Yeah. So uh, the do-over is if you come on the podcast and admit that that is just a ridiculously dumb tattoo to have and you don't want it anymore, we will pay for your laser removal surgery of the tattoo. No, 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 no. We'll pay for it to be covered up with a bat foot tattoo. <laughs> Okay, fair, fair. You trump me on that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, all things said, uh, I believe we are coming to the end of a podcast. And when we come to the end of a podcast, I ask you if you have a final thought. I have, well, one real one and one not so real one. The, I, when I put out the call for the podcast questions and I replied from my account, as I said, uh, <laughs> basically, last time we recorded this, Steve Pierce was dealt the next day. Who will it be this time? Yeah, just rhetorical question. A bunch of people replied. Mm. <laughs> so Granderson seems to be the guy that people expect. That's the that's the leading contender. Just figure figure I'd share that. All right. But now the real thing is, uh, baseball reference account put today put out a uh, tweet that said the biggest changes in attendance per team or per game rather. The Blue Jays were second. With a, a drop of eleven thousand one hundred and forty-seven, the Marlins somehow had eleven thousand one hundred and sixty-two fans to lose. <laughs> Do they have negative people at the park? How does that even work? But you know, this has been a subplot of the season that's not really being talked about. That the Jays, I mean, they didn't sell out home the Canada Day for the first time since twenty twelve. It's the lowest attendance that they've had since twenty twelve. But they're still you know, drawing in the top half of the league of, of baseball. And I think they're in the top five or six in the American league. So it's not quite as bad as those numbers make it sound. The attendance was just so good the last few years. Yeah. Um, this city, Toronto, not my city, but it loves a winner. So mm-hmm. again, they, they absolutely proved you win, the people will come back and this is not, it doesn't look like a winning team. doesn't smell like a winning team. So there's nobody around. Even with dynamic ticket pricing, still nobody around. The problem is the dynamic ticket pricing doesn't really go down. It just goes up. <laughs> Gets stuck. It's like gas prices. Yeah. Um, my final thought is not about a Blue Jay. Uh, we saw, though, Kevin Pillar go up over the wall and rob a home run. And this came up on the broadcast uh, on the radio. So credit to, I believe, Arden Zwelling for looking into this. Keon Broxton with the Brewers went and snagged a ninth inning potential home run to save a 3-2 victory uh, in the end for the Brewers the other night. That's the third time he has robbed a home run in the ninth inning in the last Mm -hmm. two years. Yeah, he's 
He's got a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> Freaking crazy, man. This uh, one would uh this one would not have tied the game because it was three to one at the time. Right, but then the the batter immediately afterwards hit a home run. Correct. So it would have been a potentially a tie game had he not been able to bring that back. So I say preserved a victory in that sense. Yeah. And I remember last year he had one where there was literally there were two outs in the ninth. A home run would have won the game, and he caught it to, to flip the, the script. His reactions are cool. not subtle when he does this either, so... <laughs> nope. <laughs> Whatever. Show it off. Celebrate it. Yeah, you just stole something that should never be stolen, so 100 points for you. Um, yeah, so that's just... Baseball is a little bit crazy. That was my final thought. Um, if you're feeling a little bit crazy and you would like to donate to our Patreon, you can go to www.patreon.com slash turfpod and check out what's going on there. Um, we are, I'm, I'm going to get a swing and a drive put together because I believe Buck has had some real missteps and I just have to gather them like dust in the wind, um, so that we can put together a game. Uh, one of our contribution levels is to come along and play that game. So if you'd like to try your hand at it, uh, see about donating to our patreon that said you have been josh Housem at joshua Housem, and i have been greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and this has been artificial turf wars episode number 108 we'll talk at you next week mm-hmm.